Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This program is brought to you weekly by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. Stay tuned for today's message. Good morning and welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. This is Elder David Wise here with you, and we're very thankful to have you tuning in today. And we're happy to have this opportunity to produce this program with Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi. And we certainly invite you, if you're in the North Mississippi area, to come and worship with us at Sulphur Springs in Caledonia or Macedonia in Ackerman. And we also meet on Wednesday nights in Starkville, Mississippi, Wednesday nights at 6 p.m at the New Covenant Church at 200 West Garrett Road. So we'd certainly love to meet you in person. We hope our messages are edifying for you. And if that's the case, you can go to our website and find more content, gospel-of-grace.com. And you can also go to macedonia-pbc.org to get more sermons and messages and content. We certainly love to have you come out and worship with us if you are able. And if you're not in this area, you can go and find a church directory for for a church that might be closer to you at our website, gospel-of-grace.com, and you'll find our email there. We'd love to have you email us, and we'd love to correspond with you and answer any questions or any other assistance that we might provide for you. This morning, we'd like to continue our series on Jesus Christ in the law, and this morning, we'd like to focus on the offerings, the various offerings that we see in the Mosaic Law and some of the lessons that we might glean from that. So we hope these messages have been and will be this morning a blessing to you. And if that's the case, we thank the Lord for it. Please stay tuned with us. Bring that message to you right after the song. Thing 
and everything shall always be. I will never cease to raise a song of gladness in his praise. Here and in the world above, my soul shall sing. thankful to have you tuned in and also to stay with us here on the Gospel of Grace. We're very thankful for you. We have been trying to consider during my time on the program, Jesus Christ in the law, search the scriptures, the Old Testament law in that day, for they are they which testify of me. And we hope that that consideration has been beneficial and edifying for you. And we are in the section of the law that is looking at the offerings. So in previous messages, we've considered particularly the burnt offering and the sin offering. There's some of the more prominent offerings, the daily, weekly, and the monthly offerings. And today we'd like to just very briefly go over the rest of the offerings. And I'll readily admit I don't have a tremendous amount of uh, spiritualization of some of these offerings. They were things that were commanded for Old Testament Israel, and I'm sure there is great understanding in these. And I can see some edifying points in them, but I'm sure there's much more in these offerings than I'm able to see right now. So Hopefully some of this can stir your thoughts and meditation to where you can see a better picture of Jesus Christ in some of these offerings. So first we'd like to consider the meat offering, which is very interesting because we hear a meat offering and we think of meat, especially since all of these offerings have to do with killing animals. We would think it would be animals meat, right? But there's no animal meat in the meat offering. It's actually a grain offering, okay? It's bread or grain. So the meat offering is not animal meat. The meat offering is really a grain offering. So you would come and you would offer a meat offering and you it would be fine flour mingled with oil and frankincense. It would be baked in order and it should be unleavened cakes, obviously unleavened, pointing toward Jesus Christ without sin. Notice though that this grain was supposed to be mingled with oil mingled with oil. And oil in many places is representative of the Holy Spirit. So we offer this offering back unto God, mingled with oil through the Holy Spirit. Also had to be mingled with salt. All offerings had to be salted. And obviously as the New Testament church, we're called to be the salt of the earth, both a preservative effect and also a sweetener. And if the salt had lost its savor, the purpose of salt is to be salty, to be savory. And if salt has lost its savor, then it's not, it's lost its identifying attributes as salt. So this meat offering was to be offered with oil, with salt, and also to be offered with frankincense. Frankincense was part of a special perfume that was used in the Holy of Holies that was only allowed to be used there. It was used, frankincense was used on each of the 12 loaves of the showbread. And obviously frankincense makes us think of the birth of Jesus Christ when those wise men came and they offered unto him, offered unto the baby Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? There was not any leaven, not any leaven in this grain, pointing certainly toward Jesus Christ and his perfect sinless body. 
No honey was supposed to be mingled with it. I've read some things that indicate that the heathen, the pagans, were typically believed to use honey in their worship services. So maybe that's why honey wasn't supposed to be in there. I can't say I know definitively about that, but no honey was supposed to be in it, regardless of the significance of that. The the bread was then supposed to be burned upon the fire. And then the remainder of the bread was to be eaten by Aaron and his sons with unleavened bread in the holy place. So the meat offering is talking about unleavened bread that is anointed with oil, that is anointed with salt, that is anointed with frankincense, and it was intended to be burned. Jesus said consistently that he was the bread of life, right? The bread of life, and a lot of that bread and wine and oil makes us think of Melchizedek, who brought bread and wine to Abraham, right? And certainly God gave the Israelites manna in the wilderness. So we certainly see some aspects of that meat or the grain offering that's pointing toward Jesus Christ. Then we have a peace offering, a peace offering. And that was to be offered of your flock or your herd. It could be a bullock a ram, a lamb, or a goat. It was supposed to be a domesticated animal. You couldn't just get some wild hyena out there. It had to be a domesticated animal that you owned and could be male or female, male or female. But regardless of the gender, it had to be without blemish. So the peace offering, you lay your hand upon the head of the offering. Again, a picture of imputation. You kill it at the door of the tabernacle. Then Aaron's sons would sprinkle the blood upon the altar, round about the altar. They'd remove the fat. They covered the inwards and all the fat, the two kidneys. After the inward parts were removed, it would be burned upon the altar. And this is an offering that was made by fire for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the Lord went out of his way to make sure to command that you do not eat the fat or the blood of this offering. And if you do, you would be cut off from the people. So why did you offer a peace offering? For what reason would you offer a peace offering? For a thanksgiving. If it was offered for thanksgiving, then he should also make it with unleavened bread, mingle with oil and unleavened wafers. Remember oil, picture of the Holy Ghost. If you made this peace offering for a vow, then there would be a sacrifice to be eaten on the following day. So that is the peace offering. Then we have a trespass offering where you have committed a trespass through ignorance of the holy things of the Lord. You would offer a ram without blemish out of the flocks. You'd kill the ram, sprinkle the blood about the altar, remove the fat. Again, you'll notice much of these commands are very similar. Remove the fat and cover the inwards, but the kidneys would be taken away. You'd burn the inward parts upon the altar, and then every male of the priest could eat the cooked ram after it was offered, and they made sure that they partook of the trespass offering in the holy place. You would also offer an estimate of the shekels of silver of the ram and then add the fifth part to the shekels and give it to the priest. So there was a monetary payment, if you will, and also in addition to the animal with the trespass offering. An atonement was made by the ram for the trespass offering and it was forgiven him. A person sins against God's commandments, but they knew it not. Again, they offer both the ram without blemish out of the flock and then also a shekel as part of the trespass offering. If you happen to sin and lie against your neighbor about something that you were supposed to keep for him or you find your animal but you lie about it etc 
then you should restore unto him what you lied about plus a fifth part add a 20% restitution, if you will. So that is the trespass offering. Then we have a heave offering and a wave offering. And these are somewhat similar, if you will. Animal meat would from the peace offering was used from the priest. And for the wave offering, Aaron would wave the breast and the right shoulder for a wave offering. The breast would be the wave breast that he would weigh for the wave offering, and the right shoulder would be the heave offering. They would kind of wave this horizontal from side to side. A heave offering is vertical, so the wave offering gives the idea of, I believe, since this wave was horizontal, your interaction between men, a heave offering is depicted as being vertical. That's our interactions with the Lord. So you have the heave offering and the wave offering. Then you have a drink offering. And that's just simply a half or third or fourth part of a hint of wine, depending on the sacrifice, the quantity of the drink offering changed because a drink offering was typically offered in association with other offerings. Depending on the type of sacrifice, you would give a different portion of wine as a drink offering. You have the offering of the firstborn. Uh, you have the figurative offering of the firstborn child, the dedication of the child, but then you have the offering of the livestock. So when your livestock has its first child, the first fruits of that go to the Lord. The offering of the firstborn, offering of the first firstlings of the flock. So when that firstborn of your flock is born, you don't do any work with that offering. You give it unto the Lord. And in a similar manner, you offer the first fruits to the Lord. You have the, your first harvest during the year, and then you offer the first crop that you get, you give a tenth of that to the Lord as a thanksgiving for what he has given unto you. So the offering of the first fruits, the offering of the tithes, that's where a lot of the idea of the Old Testament tithing, a tithe means a tenth, comes from. And they were commanded to give that, which by the way, in the Primitive Baptist Church, we don't hold a 10% calculation of tithing as a requirement. We believe the New Testament pattern is to give according as God has given you ability and God requires a cheerful giver. You don't make determinations of your giving based primarily on a calculator. It's based primarily on your prayers and the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit as you have ability. Sometimes you have more ability, sometimes you have less ability, and the Lord certainly understands that. And so we believe that you give charitably according to the leadership of the Holy Spirit as you have ability, which by the way, as a side note to that, you have multiple tithes. You have the annual tithe, and then you have also another tithe, and then you have a third year tithe. And when you multiply all that out, there's three separate tithes in the Old Testament. People many times say, I've given my 10% to the church, I've done my duty. And then you get into, was it gross or is it net and all this stuff. But if you look at the Old Testament, it's not just a 10% tithe. The word tithe does mean a tenth. But when you look up the net effect of all those three separate tithes, two of them being annual and one of them being every third year, it's about 22%, 22%. So I think the Lord expects more of us than just multiplying 10% given to the church or given to the Lord and, and feel like that you've done your duty. Actually, the Old Testament, they gave much more than just 10% of what they had under the Lord. And you look at all these other sacrifices that they gave under the Lord. I mean, that's just the 
requirement of the tithe. But look at all these other sacrifices they made unto the Lord. They gave the Lord a whole lot more than 10%. And as a minister friend recently said, which I agree with 100%, grace always far exceeds the law. So if it's 10% or whether it's 22%, grace and charity in the New Testament should far exceed that Old Testament requirement of 10%. So you have the first fruit offerings, you have the tithes, you have free will offerings, various types of free will offerings that are offered for various reasons. So we've tried to consider in very brief summary a lot of these offerings, the burnt offering, sin offering, peace offering, trespass offering, heave offering, wave offering, drink, the firstborn offering, first things of the flock, the offerings of the first fruits, the offering of the tithe, free will offerings. There's just a lot in there, right? I, I want to just give you some concluding remarks on some of these offerings. Again, I don't necessarily know the spiritual significance of every one of them, but this is a great example, isn't it, of just how complicated the law is, <laughs> right? I mean, just in my studying of this, not only do you have all these different offerings, but particularly with the sin offering, you have four different ways to make that offering depending on who you are, whether you're a priest or whether it's for everybody or whether you're a ruler or whether you're deemed to be a common person. Also, I didn't highlight in those that if you don't have the ability to bring a lamb or a bullock, you can take the, the poverty option, if you will, and offer two turtle doves. So there are all these different requirements and not only, you know, which one was it that we're supposed to go outside the camp and which one is it that we're supposed to put the blood here and which one is it we're supposed to do here? You know, that's complicated, right? Could you imagine the pressure <laughs> of being an Old Testament Levite and trying to keep all this straight and knowing that the Lord is, you know, you do something wrong, the Lord strike you dead. Praise God, we're under grace. We're New Testament kings and priests, but the Lord gives us charity. But look, understand, the big picture of the law, the big picture of the law is so that we understand that it's so extensive, it's so complicated, that it's evident that we cannot keep that law. I mean, think about just, we've been talking about all this stuff in the law, but let's just think about how complicated all of these offerings are. I mean, I still don't really have my head around all of them. Every one of them is specific. You use this. This this time you're allowed to use a male, but this time you can use a female. This time you have to use a specific animal, but this time you can use a bullock or a lamb or a goat. I mean, this is complicated, right? The law is complicated. And this is just a specific aspect of the offering. Look at all of the totality of the law in those four books. And you understand why Jesus and the apostles said in the New Testament that the, if you think that you have to rely upon your works of obedience to the law to go to heaven, that is a yoke of bondage about your neck that you were never intended to bear. The purpose of the law is for us to see the magnitude and also the detail and the specificity of it. And if you make one little bitty mistake that the Lord, as Nadab and Abihu thought they would offer strange fire, the Lord consumed them, okay? The Lord is particular, and that's our next point, that the Lord is very specific about the way he desires to be worshiped. Okay, we'll come back to that in just a minute. But the law is so complicated. The law is so hard. But God's standard is that he required 
absolute perfection. If we offend in one point, we're guilty of the whole thing, okay? Can you imagine, again, the pressure of those priests and Levites that I don't offend in one little bitty point? But Jesus, in all of his life, never had a stray sinful thought. I mean, that's just amazing. As the Son of Man, and I understand he's the Son of God, but as a Son of Man, he obeyed the law perfectly. And that's one thing I want us to understand. Sometimes I've just, I've been guilty of this, of saying, oh, that's right, God, Jesus obeyed the law to a jot and to a tittle. Look how complicated the jots and the tittles are, right? Look how complicated the law is. And look at the totality of the magnitude of the law. And Jesus obeyed that perfectly. Wow, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Then the purpose of the totality of the law is for us to say, wow, we have no hope. We have no hope of heaven in and of our own works. Our only hope is the sovereign, unmerited favor and grace of Almighty God because works and the law is too great for us to have confidence in this. And if you're putting confidence in something you do to go to heaven, please allow the gospel of salvation by grace alone to lift that yoke of bondage off of your neck. Because the law, I don't know too many people that are trying to observe all these offerings to go to heaven, but there are many people that rely on their own works as their confidence of eternal life. And I'll tell you, child of God, you will never be happy. You will never have a clear conscience. The way that you have an answer of a good conscience is by placing your faith solely in Jesus Christ for the finished work of salvation and submitting to believers' baptism under that belief in confession. And you will come out of that water with the answer of a good conscience, knowing that he is the end of the law for righteousness. That's what we're told in Romans chapter 10. You put confidence in Jesus Christ as being the end of the law for righteousness. I sure don't want my, my obedience to be the end of the law for righteousness. It has to be the work of Jesus Christ. And the other point that we'd like to make is these offerings and everything in the law, it is evident that God takes his worship very seriously, right? God takes his worship very seriously. And we adhere to, in the Primitive Baptist Church, the regulative principle. And what that means is when God makes a positive command of how we're to do things, God doesn't have to go out of his way to explain everything that's wrong. I know we've been talking in the law, but this is the example I always use in regards to the regulative principle. When God told Noah to build the ark with gopher wood, he didn't have to list off every other type of wood in the world and say, don't use that. When God gave a positive command of gopher wood, then every other type of wood was against God's law, right? So you see all these offerings, everything that God said, he gives a positive command. This is what you're commanded to do. And anything other than that is sin, period, right? Anything other than what God said is sin. And you have two distinctive different ideologies in Christianity that you have the regulative principle and the normative principle. And we would say in the Primitive Baptist Church that God gives positive commands for how he desires to be worshiped and anything other than that is not permitted. Now, there are references. God gave a little bit of permissive liberty to David in his day to use instruments, but that's the only time period we see that instruments being used. And there are references in the Old Testament to the use of instruments, but the only reference that we see in the New Testament is a positive command to sing with our voices with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. God doesn't have to go and tell you everything not to do. When God gives you a positive command, 
That's what he intends for you to do. But then the other perspective is that if God does not explicitly say that it's wrong, then it's probably okay. (laughs) Okay, now I want you to take that principle, okay? I want you to take that normative principle that says, as long as God didn't specifically say this was wrong, then we think it's okay. I want you to apply that to what God says in the Levitical law. Do you think that that's what Moses thought that God meant when he told you to do something? As long as he didn't specifically tell us not to do something, then it's probably really okay. That's how people got killed, right? That's how Nadab and Abihu said, well, you know what? He didn't specifically say that we couldn't offer this kind of fire. You know, yeah, I know God gave us his preference of what kind of fire he wants to be offered. But you know what? God probably won't really mind if we add our own little flavor to this. God won't really mind if we offer the strange favor of the Lord. God won't really won't mind if we offer the strange fire to the Lord. Because after all, he didn't tell us specifically to not, not offer this. You want to know how that turned out for Nadab and Abihu? The Lord consumed them and struck them dead. (laughs) Look, you can't look at the Old Testament law and reach the conclusion that, you know what, as long as God didn't say it was specifically wrong, then I think it was totally okay. No, of course not, right? You look at the law and God gives specific commands, and most of the time, if you don't obey those specific commands, you die. Right? You get killed. The Lord strikes you dead. Even Uzzah, who who had good intentions, he reached out, he touched the ark. God struck him dead. No ifs, ands, or buts. Right? The Bible consistently upholds the regulative principle. And what that means is when God gives a positive command, silence does not equal permissibility. Okay? I want to make sure we understand this. Silence in Scripture, when God has issued a positive command, silence in Scripture does not equal acceptability. And again, for those in Christianity that would say, well, God didn't say we couldn't do it, and therefore it's okay. I would encourage you to go look at the Mosaic Law. You cannot reach the opinion of the Mosaic Law that as long as God did not explicitly say it was wrong, then it's totally okay. No, when God gives a positive command, everything else is excluded. And it's the same way in the New Testament. When God gives a positive command, everything else is excluded. And that's what we hope to hold to in the Primitive Baptist Church in New Testament worship of the regulative principle, because God has given us a pattern for how he desires to be worshiped. And just because he doesn't name off every wild, harebrained idea that people have to worship him, that does not make it right. He declared how he desired to be worshiped, and everything else is excluded. And that's what we hold to in the regulative principle in the Primitive Baptist Church that we believe is the representation of what the original Baptist Church held to, that what God said is what he meant, and this is how he desired to be worshiped. And we do not add to it, and we do not take away from it. We simply uphold what God's word has provided for us. We hope this message has been edifying to you. If that's the case, give God the glory for it. Please return with us here on the program next week as we continue examining Jesus Christ in the Mosaic Law. May God bless you.
If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist church in your area. Visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com to search for a Primitive Baptist church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find additional contact information. This program is also available on iTunes under podcasts with the title, The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Baptist radio broadcast. If you enjoy our program, send us an email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caldonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. Come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 1030 and tune in next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray that God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonder.